What does breaking your tailbone, PMS, appendicitis, in vitro fertilization, and depression have in common? Your pelvic floor. Today, I interview my friend, Dr. Nidhi Sharma, a pelvic floor therapist, and in our episode today, we talk about all this and more. Nidhi became a pelvic floor therapist after she broke her tailbone two years after starting to be a physical therapist. When she was suggested that to heal her tailbone, she needs to not sit for a year, she found a better way to heal her body and move forward from her injury. Today, we're also going to talk about really important questions you might have asked yourself before, such as, when do I know I need to seek help for my condition? When do I need to do something about my symptoms, even if they're mild? And when should I leave my current practitioner to find another one to help me achieve my health goals? I hope today that Dr. Nitty's story reminds you that health is not always a straightforward journey, but there is always hope for our bodies to get healthier and stronger than before. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel healthy and vibrant again by finding the root cause of our gut health problems. My name's Allison Jordan, marathon runner, functional medicine practitioner, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of the Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for life. If you're ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. Welcome, guys, to the Better Belly Podcast. I am so excited today to introduce you guys to Nidhi Sharma. She is a physical therapist and pelvic floor therapy specialist that I have been following on Instagram for a while now. And I feel like everything I've seen her post on her Instagram, I love, 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 love everything she has to say about pelvic floor therapy. I don't know if you've ever heard of pelvic floor therapy, if you've done it before, whatever your experience is with it, I invite you to listen to this episode because I know it's just going to be amazing. So Nidhi, welcome to the Better Belly Podcast. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm very excited to be talking to you. I like all your posts and all your information <laughs> as well. And, you know, when I see practitioners like you, I feel like we can work together very well mm. because our thought processes are very similar. At least that's how it feels. Right. But yeah, let's get talking. Yeah. So to start off, Nitty, can you tell us um, and the audience, what do you do and who do you do it for? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm a physical therapist by trade. Uh, went to physical therapy school 12, 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I specialized in pelvic health, which basically is a specialist branch of physical therapy. And we deal with the region of pelvis and everything that um, entails. I might background is in orthopedic uh, physical therapy, you know, your regular back, neck. So I truly believe that how the pelvis functions and how the symptoms of pelvis present has a lot to do with what else is going on in the rest of the body Mm -hmm. um, in terms of how your spine is, how your neck is, how everything else is. So I bring that orthopedic background into my pelvic floor work very strongly. And I do believe it's very, very important. So when you started school, did you know you wanted to be a pelvic floor specialist? Like, was that like, yeah, okay, tell me, how did that happen? (laughs) So, you know, I was a typical student, you know, when you go to PT school, you're like, okay, you're going to practice an outpatient orthopedic. Most of us think that, and uh, that's what I did. Went to outpatient orthopedic practice, you know, treating back, neck, this and that um, for a while. And then um, two things happened that brought me to pelvic floor work is one, I broke my, um, maybe two years into practice, I broke my tailbone. Oh. Um, and then, uh, you know, it wasn't diagnosed, then it was diagnosed and everyone was like, well, can't do anything. Um, don't sit for like a year. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> right. you know, cause that's really easy not sitting. Right. Oh, so, 
Um, so I did that and, you know, I really didn't have any idea. Uh, eventually, tailbone pain did go away. It took a long time. But I believe, um, you know, I started having pelvic symptoms. I can't place it, but maybe soon within a year of that. Okay. And I could never place it. I could never connect it. I had no idea, you know, like most orthopedic therapists that tailbone is so closely related to pelvic floor. Most of the pelvic floor attaches to tailbone. Right. And then, you know, over the years, I just kept trying to get better, make my pelvic pain or pelvic discomfort better. Eventually, I bumped into a very good uh, pelvic floor PT who said, why is your tailbone all bent over? I'm like, well, it's broken. (laughs) And she's like, how did you not tell anyone this? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't think it was relevant. So that's where I really started to explore. And and treating my tailbone has treated more than 80% of my pelvic symptoms uh, consistently. And you had somebody else treat it or you treated it yourself or kind of like both? So both because I had that therapist treat me, but then like within a month of that, I started going to the course because I wanted to know more about Ah. it, not just get treated. Like I really wanted to understand what happened here. And then because I started to go into courses so extensively over the next six months, I think I got treated in courses. I treated people in courses, then Mm -hmm. just kind of went from there. And it didn't take long. It only took me six months or so to really relieve that pain that had been going on for more than three years. Now, one thing I actually am really interested in, Nitty, is this pelvic pain. If you're willing to share some of the details of like where and when you would feel the pain, because I feel like a lot of clients and and women that I talk to in particular, um, it's like, oh, I get pain when I bend over to pick up my child, or I get pain when I um, stand up, or I get pain, it's in the front, or it's in the back, or it's around like the bikini line area. There's all these different pains. And I'm just, I feel like people feel like they're this alien, like they're the only one who gets this weird pelvic pain. And I'm just curious, would you be willing to share any of what your most common pain symptoms had been at that point? Yeah, my most significant pain actually was menstrual pain. Okay, Um, I would get PMS kind of pain uh, on the times that I did not have PMS. Oh, in the random times of the of the month. And I believe now that it was due to the times that I either sat too long or did something to my tailbone unintentionally. I didn't realize the workout I did or I always, I mean, after that tailbone fracture, I was sitting on my left butt, right butt for like two years. Because so <laughs> you couldn't time, sit, you couldn't sit normal. Yeah, for a year. So by uh. the, when the, when the pain was gone, I was still sitting on my right butt, not knowing that I'm doing this. Okay. Yeah. So when the tailbone thing came up and I really started to think about it, it's not like I was only sitting on the right side, but I was definitely not weight bearing on both sides, nearly uh, equal. So when I realized that I think most of the times my pain, my menstrual pain was um, coming up on the times that I was sitting for long periods of time, basically on my right butt. <laughs> Okay, so you you would have this postural shift that you were doing subconsciously and to protect your tailbone, or at least out of habit, and then you kind of yeah. feel this like kind of crampy PMS pain. Um, did you ever have any doctors or like that you talked to other physicians and did they give you any advice or you just kind of figure, did, did anyone say maybe it's just like ovulation or something? Did you ever get that? I'm really curious. Yeah, so I didn't actually talk to anyone because okay. it wasn't it wasn't bad enough. And that's another thing because I instinctively, I think got up and walked around because I'm a therapist. I don't want to sit and I never sat thankfully for eight hours in a day ever. So if I did, I think I would have gotten to the point that I needed help. Right. If you were like Um, sitting at a desk for computer work or something. Yeah. But because I was so my job is active and I never had to sit for a long time. It never got to a point where I had to seek help. But I was kind of confused that why am I having menstrual cramps like in the middle of the uh, month? And I tried to change my diet around to see what will help it. But it was it was mild, maybe not mild, but intermittent enough that I didn't have to actually uh, seek help. 
Yeah. I actually really like hearing that, Nitty, because I feel like there's so many stories of people that I come across where um, sometimes, yes, the pain is excruciating and people are actively seeking help. But sometimes it's what you're describing, this like vague (laughs) thing. You're like, I guess I just live with this the rest of my life and I occasionally have this pain. I'm guessing now you pretty much never experience that pain. Yeah, I don't. And in fact, the, the fact that, you know, it was intermittent, but it wasn't um, station, it was progressing, you know, okay. it was progressing at okay. a very slow rate, there was becoming a little more persistent, mm-hmm. maybe a little more consistent, but not just not enough for me to seek help. And I think that's where a lot of people are when we see them, you know, because they are not absolutely debilitated by it, they don't think it's a big deal. But that's often the time that most help can be given, because the body is still mm. kind of going back and forth between functioning okay and not functioning okay so like the central nervous system isn't that hyped up about the pain just yet so I think that's a very good time to intervene and that's probably why my symptoms calmed down and we treated them pretty quickly I am so so glad you said that I love that perspective because we always want to know like is this a pain that I should do something about or do I just wait it out and that you were monitoring your body and saying hey I'm noticing it is getting maybe more intense or it's happening more frequently, but you didn't wait till it was horrible. You at least had an intersection. And so um, I'm curious for people who interact with you on Instagram or patients that come and say, maybe are considering working with you, because I know you do like virtual work, for example, and we'll talk more about that at the end. But how would you know, do you have any advice for somebody who's saying, I've got this kind of persistent weird pain, I've tried changing my diet, I've gone and gotten normal PT, it's still kind of there. Um, what advice would you give to someone in that situation? Like, should they seek out pelvic floor or should they just follow you on Instagram? Or like, how would you help someone walk through that and decide maybe a good next step? Any advice? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the symptoms, obviously, you know, what are the symptoms, but I think I do believe that, um, especially in the work of pelvic floor uh, physical therapy, and I think functional nutrition, and, you know, within the realm of pelvic symptoms, there's such a wide variety of what practitioner is going to do. Mm -hmm. Like you can have completely Mm. different experiences with two practitioners. And that doesn't mean that one is bad and one is good. Okay. I think it means that there are so many ways to help you. And uh, a practitioner's thought process is affected by what they have done in their life, in their career, what kind of patients they've seen. And so if you're not getting better with one practitioner, I highly recommend you don't think it's because... PT doesn't work or because nutrition doesn't work or, or, you know, any of those things. Think of it like, okay, this is probably not the right fit for me. And that doesn't have to say that the practitioners is bad unless the practitioner is not listening to you, which is bad. Yeah, that Uh, is bad. And that happens, unfortunately. unfortunately. Um, But if the practitioner is listening to you and trying, um, you know, oftentimes you can have an honest talk with them, say Mm. that uh, I don't think this is working and can we try something else and a good practitioner would refer you out to somebody who has a very different outlook towards Mm. things so I do that in my practice easily so I think going to two or three practitioners is not a bad thing it's probably a good thing like yeah of course I said the same thing for a psychotherapist like it has to be very good fit Uh, you can say that you tried counseling for two months and it didn't work um, because everyone is so different yeah Yeah. Try one more time, give it another chance. I know. And it can be so frustrating when you're sick and you don't feel good and you're like, I just want something to work. But the truth is, is in health and in in life, we do something and it might not work. It might fail, but we always want to fail forward. I'm really fond of that personally. John Maxwell talks about that. And I know that in medicine, um, I often, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, people come to you and you have not been the first thing that they've done. And so they're like, like, can you just please fix me? Um, And I'm always so proud of my clients. If you're listening to this podcast and you're frustrated, I just say, I am proud of you for trying more things. Um, We we need to hear that. And I, Nidia, I imagine you feel the same way um, of our clients. You're just rock stars in being like, okay, I'm going to do the thing that you're suggesting. I'm going to try another thing. That being said, I would like to transition into another question 
so we, we heard a little bit about your story and some of your transformation, which is awesome. I would love to hear a few of your favorite testimonials from patients you've worked with um, of just like some things that somebody was going through when they worked with you, what you did to change those symptoms and, and what was going on and then what the result was. What are some of your favorite testimonials, Nitty? Yeah, so um, one uh, comes to mind. I mean, I, I still talk to this patient. This was a few years ago. I had seen her as an orthopedic therapist for something shoulder after shoulder surgery or something. So that's how I knew her. Mm-hmm. Um, two or three years later, after I met her, she uh, contacted me and she wanted a second opinion on a doctor. She was going to have fibroid surgery. Okay. She's like, do you know anyone who is good? And I was like, I do, but do you mind telling me why are you having a fibroid surgery? And, and actually, real quick, could you tell the audience what a fibroid is? Some people might know, and some people might not know. What's a fibroid? Uh, so this growth often in the uterus, um, okay. they don't have to be you know, bothersome. A lot of people have fibroids and don't have any symptoms. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they can cause bleeding um, and usually okay. are diagnosed by gynecologists. So uh, she reached out to me and I was like, what's going on? Why do you need a fibroid surgery? Are you in pain? She's like, no, I've been trying to conceive and it's not working. Mm. Um, I've been trying to conceive for a year and she had gone through, I think, two rounds of IVF, which had not worked. Okay. Um, and I was like, so we're thinking that taking this fibroid out will uh, help you get pregnant. And she said, yeah, that's what they're thinking. That's the only thing we can see that can help. So I said, well, I'm doing this visceral work. Do you mind coming in so I can take a look? Uh, And she said, sure. And she came in and the history was that she had a surgery for, um, what is that called? Um, Is it like... It ro- you said rotated in the pelvic floor Appendicitis. Area? Appendicitis. Appendicitis. Ah, like, what is the yes. name of that? Yeah, yeah okay. The, <laughs> the thing that will kill you if it explodes. <laughs> so she had an appendicitis uh, three years ago and had surgery for that. Um, and her scar looked a little bit bigger than I expected for appendicitis. So I okay. talked to her. I was like, why does the scar look a little deeper and a little bigger? She said it got infected. They had to go in and clean it up again. So long story short, I think that's what was causing her to not be able to conceive. Okay. Um, so, so you treated that? I worked on that scar. We did visceral mobilization. Um, you know, it took two... Um, maybe three months, maybe four treatments in total. And, you know, I don't want to take all the credit. She was doing a lot of other, she was doing acupuncture. She was doing other Mm. herbal treatments as well. Mm -hmm. Um, They had given her like six months because she was older. She's older um, to try all these things. Um, And then she got pregnant. Oh my gosh. So she'd been trying for Uh, a year, like IVF, doing IVF. Which is expensive. It's like very committed at that point. And she never needed surgery then? She, she did get, not. And she didn't get the surgery. Times, yeah, no. Uh, she got <sighs> pregnant. During her pregnancy, I saw her for, you know, different things because uh, she was leaking and we worked on that. She got through pregnancy pretty okay. And after Leaking, you mean in, like incontinence leaking? Yes. Urinary? Yes, okay, okay. Leaking. So yeah, mm-hmm. leaking. All right. And after giving birth, she had mild prolapse, which again, she was suggested to do surgery. And um, this time she didn't listen. She was calling me first. She was like, can you do something and not surgery? And I'm like, yes, let's try. I love that. So yeah, I think more than anything, I think she is the person in the community who has seen the difference and not from the medical perspective like us, but just from a human perspective, that body is so much about movement. Um, Mm. And it's not stationary. It's not just drugs and chemicals. It is really a lot of movement needs to happen for conception. A lot of movement needs to happen for digestion, for circulation. Like body is movement dependent. If you really help movement inside and out, you can help things a lot more holistically. Wow. I feel like that is a deep phrase. I feel like you're actually saying a lot with body is movement. I mean, our body is about movement. I feel like I know what you're saying, but can you actually dig into that a little bit more? You said body is about movement for digestion, for circulation, for, um, for her, it was like conception. Can you dig into that phrase a little bit more? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, um, this is one of my Instagram posts is movement is fundamental to life. And I think I say that a lot to my patients because it doesn't matter. Even if you don't see a movement outside your body, if you're just sitting quietly, um, Mm. there is constant movement of your diaphragm. If you're breathing, you're moving. There's constant movement of your uh, digestive tract. Right? It's doing peristalsis or small movement to move your food along. There's constant movement of pelvic floor with every breath. There's constant movement of cerebral spinal fluid in our uh, spinal cord in our brain. Yeah. So like every, everything is at, at a physical level, very much physical level, moving inside the body. And when we move outside, you know, more physically, I think it's a complementary to that internal movement that our body is mm. doing. So um, circulation, let's for say, yeah. for example, you know, people who have difficult, uh, poor circulation, we have seen for a long time that de- less activity means poor circulation. It will eventually translate to that, even though we don't say that you use these muscles to circulate your blood, but you do help those muscles to circulate the blood. So I think all of those things tie into each other. And I th- movement in inside and outside, if people start to understand, uh, one thing you can do for your body is to just move. Oh, I love um, it. So you helped your client. When, when you say that, I'm actually thinking about how you helped your client with that scar mobilization uh, by her appendix. And I mean, one thing that I talk to my clients about that they don't, most people don't know is that the, on not, I'm trying to remember what the, I don't know if you've heard the percentage recently, but it's something like 80% or 70% of women have a ligament from their appendix to their ovary, the appendicular ovarian ligament. And when we get the appendix taken out, that that ligament sometimes can just attach to scar tissue and that right ovary can get tugged and pulled in in ways that are not ideal for its functioning. And so sometimes it can actually cause pain and problems after a appendix removal. So, um, But then also sometimes I actually had one client who told me that all of her PMS symptoms resolved after she had a appendix removed. And so... Uh, this is like a, you helped mobilize this one area of her body um, and there was other things going on, you know, the uh, acupuncture and herbs and I'm sure eating clean, things like yeah. that. But you helped optimize a little area of movement that might have been kind of a, I mean, it clearly helped because in six months she was pregnant, man. Yeah. And, and the other fact is that how, I mean, if I showed her a picture and I think that helped. Um, okay. Egg is really released and the fallopian tube needs to catch it. Like yeah. it, it is a it is a physical thing that needs to happen. It's not that that egg is here and just chemicals are going to release it and then it, it's going to get fertilized. It really needs to be released from here, caught by the fallopian tubes, moved through the fallopian tube. Like that is a physical thing that needs to happen. Mm. So I was trying to explain that there's a lot of physical movement involved in it, even though you don't have control over it. It's still physical movement. So if there's scar tissue around that area, it's going to limit that physical movement. That could be one reason that you're um, having trouble. And, and that actually goes back to your quote, the body is about movement. Yes. The, yes. Because there's the I'm movement of the, of the egg to, through the fallopian tube. Oh, I just love that. Have you ever heard, I'm just curious, uh, Dr. Um, Jean-Pierre Barral, who created uh-huh. visceral manipulation, he, he also has a similar quote. He, he's like super, he's like life and breath is about movement or there's something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Have you heard he also has a quote on that? You know, um, I mean, I didn't hear this one. The one that I always uh, you know, think about is yeah, he says, tissues never lie. Tissues never lie. Tell us. Or, or, or something like tissues know. Tissues know? Like, Dive you know, into you that. You don't yeah, when you're working with a patient and, you know, you don't have to necessarily uh, or you can't know exactly what's going on. So when your hands are on patients, just kind of follow what the body is telling you to do. Um, mm. And then the tissues know what's going on and what they need. And okay. um, yeah, okay. uh, stop when the body is not, stop when the body is fighting you, I guess. Uh, yes. 
That's actually one thing that I love about, because you and I actually share some modalities. We both do visceral manipulation in our work, and I do also work with the pelvis, but you're a physical therapist, and pelvic floor therapy has its own line, heightened things that you can do, but we understand each other on that level, Um, and so what did you just say? You said... um, Tissues, no. Tissues, no. Yes. yes. So, <laughs> so the tissues know. And what I love about that is that I'm sure you've had this experience. A client comes in, is describing, hey, I can't conceive, or I have a fibroid, or I'm constipated, um, or I'm having this pelvic pain. Um, pain during sexual intercourse is a huge problem that I'm sure you see, and I know I see, and that is like hard to talk about, but it like can affect your whole life, right? Yeah. Um, that being said, we don't go in and say, body, I know what's going on. I'm going to just going to tell you what to do and you're going to fix yourself. We actually listen to tissues and you kind of got led to this thing that, I mean, aside from the fact that you were feeling the scar tissue, you might not, no one probably thought was relevant to anything, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh. exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, there's like, we all should have, especially practitioners should have a degree of, um, respect towards body that we don't always know everything uh, or most of the time we don't know everything yeah <laughs> so yeah which, and it, which I don't think medical uh you know community in general sort of believes and that's why patients are uh, many times frustrated because they think that we know everything and doctors make it our practitioners make it sound like they know everything it's like okay there's mm. nothing wrong with you we know that we Ooh, know I hate that, that one <laughs> Oh, it's so degrading first. And it's usually, it's just that we don't see anything. That doesn't mean there's nothing wrong. Yeah. Oh, so absolutely. I love this testimony you have. You have somebody who basically, I mean, you can't tell everyone if you're having trouble conceiving, get pelvic floor therapy and you'll be good. But I mean, it's an amazing testimony. What's another testimony? Do you have another one like that you can share with us? Yeah. I mean, um, so I've always worked with pelvic organ prolapse patients. Um, you know, it's one of the most common things that present to us after giving birth. And I think these are the patients who are often very, very scared and just not in a, in a good place because they've been told that something, their organ is falling out of their body. Mm. Right? It's a very scary thing to be explained to a patient and um, they feel that it's just the end of the world and they can't do anything. It's so I've seen a lot of um, those patients and one of the patient that comes to mind is she was told to basically not pick up her baby. Hmm. That if she picks up her baby, that's too much weight and she's going to make her prolapse worse. And can you imagine a new mother not picking up her baby? Right. Um, Right. How about tearing so, family apart, <laughs> families apart? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. So she was depressed. She was clinically depressed. But I think um, her postpartum depression was coming from the fact, and I think her psychiatrist agreed, is coming from the fact that she can't pick up her baby. Like she gave birth to a baby and she's never picked her up. Wow. Um, and I think a lot of times uh, in pelvic organ prolapse, we are giving these directions or practitioners giving these directions to patients to not do stuff, which is really not based in evidence. It's a lot of theory that, okay, this will happen, that will happen. And more and more evidence is suggesting that there is a whole lot of variation in what a person with pelvic organ prolapse can do. And I, I think I did a few posts on this is that, you know, just because you have pelvic organ prolapse doesn't mean that your organs are falling out of your body. It's there's a, there's a huge degree of variation here. You know, your organ a little bit lower versus how quickly is it going to progress? What affects it? How can you do those things? And since then, I helped her, you know, not only pick up her baby, but basically go back to everything she wanted to do except skipping. Wow. Um, Skip, skipping like like she couldn't like skip yeah, along? She, she, she wanted okay. to she wanted to uh, skip so we oh. you know she had one of those things in her intake that you know she plays like that or she works out like that oh. um that that still gave her symptoms sometimes okay but other than that she was lifting 
her, not only her baby, she was lifting heavy weights. She was lifting 80 pounds and training. She was uh. doing squats, lunges, and all of those things that I truly believe do not make prolapse worse, or at least not does not make prolapse worse in everyone. There's so okay. many ways you can do those things, so many ways you can um, make those things uh, work. Within the physical therapy world, we sometimes tend to you know, go on these theories that, oh, if you have back pain, don't do this. Or if you have okay. back pain, don't do that. Um, the don'ts or these rules, the random rules really don't apply. If you start to see the patient and you see, okay, let's try doing this and see what happens. And if it aggravates your symptoms, we'll find another way to do it. Body is very, very smart and very, very resilient. So she was able to lift everything. Um, only thing she wasn't able to do was skip. She still felt her prolapse. And, you know, out of 10 things, she was able to do nine and uh, she was very happy. That's awesome. Do you remember how long that took? Like six months, um, three months? More than six months. I want to say six nine months. months. Nine months. Okay. Yeah. She was six months postpartum when I saw her. Yeah. Um, so she was six months of not picking up her baby. Yeah. And then after that, when we started picking up the baby and we started practicing that, you can imagine that uh, I think nature is smart. It gives us that time to get used to picking up the baby because baby puts on weight. Mm-hmm. But if you just pick up the baby at six months, baby's already heavy. Baby's big. Yeah. Um, so, you know, taking that away from women, telling them don't pick up your baby in the first six months means don't pick up your baby until they walk. Basically, you have taken away that accommodation time when the baby is going the weight and you can get used to that weight. Wow. So if someone's listening to this and they've been told not to pick up their baby or maybe they're going to get pregnant and they might end up hearing it in the future, um, what should they do? Should they kind of push back at their doctor and say, can I see a pelvic floor therapist? Or is there a way that they can find a solution themselves to or advocate for themselves to say, hey, can we find another? Like, do you find that that works? Do you know of the best thing that they can do to really advocate? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, pelvic organ prolapse often isn't diagnosed. Uh, some patients will see it. They will see it and they'll think, oh, yeah, whatever. Um, so ask, first of all, you know, once you're six weeks postpartum and you go to your doctor, ask, you know, how is my pelvic floor looking? How's the strength? And regardless of what they say, ask for a prescription, a referral for one pelvic floor PT session, just so we can check how your pelvic floor is doing. So six um, months postpartum, just six weeks. Oh, six weeks. I thought I misheard that. I was like six oh, months sorry. a long time. No, no, okay, six weeks. Just say, hey, can I just get an evaluation? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You know, it happens in other countries. This is where you're one of the few it doesn't. Um, it Yay, happens America. in most European countries. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, everyone goes to a physical therapist, and you know it's better because if you go to a physical therapist at six months, at six weeks, we teach you how to do Kegels. We tell you how to work on your scar if you have one. We tell you how to engage your pelvic floor, and we teach you how to pick up your baby. I mean, we can actually decrease the incidence of you having back pain and leaking three months down the line and save money for insurance. Like we can prevent this from happening because we already know that this woman is going to has a little bit of weaker pelvic floor is going to pick up a baby all the time. And the baby is going to get heavier in next six to nine months until they start walking. So why not just prevent that with one or two sessions? I think that's, uh, that's a very, that should become the standard of care. I believe it will, you know, next few years. I love it. So thus far, you've shared um, from your own life, some tailbone pain and PMS feeling pain that has been relieved from with pelvic floor therapy, visceral manipulation. We've talked about uh, avoiding fibroid surgery and being able to conceive. We've talked about appendicitis, scar um, from uh, appendectomy being reduced. We've talked about being able to lift up a baby and like be an awesome weightlifting mom. 
after she someone was told she couldn't and i'm guessing her depression lifted or at least got a little lighter yeah. too right so yeah. i mean in some ways you even helped someone with depression which is huge i mean huge 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 this is amazing i mean i i hope that if you're listening whoever is listening just know that pelvic floor therapy is awesome um if you are not following nitty we will again share at the end how you can but she has amazing insights into just whole pelvic health um I am curious, Nitty, if you could have everyone know one thing about the belly, and I'm saying belly is like a broad general term, so uh-huh. the pelvis or the gut or the abdomen, if you could have somebody know one thing about it, what would it be? I think I would say uh, that, you know, all of that system, and especially when we come to pelvis, is so intricately connected. Within the area of pelvis that I treat, we treat the three openings in women at least, vaginal opening, urethral opening, and anal opening. And all three openings are three different systems. One is GI system, urinary system, and reproductive system, right? Yeah. So there's a place where there's coming together of so many systems and these systems being so active. And obviously most active of these systems is the digestive system also the longest because it starts up here at the mouth and goes down to the while reproductive system starts sort of in the uterus and ovary region. So I think GI system has such a, such a widespread effect on all the symptoms. And we have known for a long time about the second brain, the gut being the second brain, Yeah, you know, it's, it's not new knowledge anymore, but still a lot of practitioners are not paying attention to that. Um, There was a study recently, or there have been a few studies, but there was one study that uh, was a randomized control trial, which isn't very common in this area yet, is that they took chronic prostatitis patients with, you know, chronic pelvic pain in men. Um, Sample was small and they took two groups. And what they did was they took a soiled glove. So basically they took a small stool sample Uh and tested the biome. The gut biome of both. Okay. And, so their prostate was inflamed. And then they, you said they had... Pro- yeah, they had there. pelvic pain and, pelvic you know, pain. burning. Burning with urination is usually okay. the prostate symptoms that uh, men go to uh, urologists for. Burning with urination, burning with erection, or uh, pain in the testicles, penis. You know, it's a big, uh, broad area that they sort of define as prostatitis. Okay. And a lot of men, a lot of these men actually had pain in the pelvic region. Okay. So, but um, even, and then this test, they took like a stool sample, which is yeah. kind of like a difference. It's nearby, but it's a different Absolutely. system. So they're Absolutely. like, hey, what will we find? Okay, this is interesting. I'm intrigued. Yeah, they had no, uh, they ruled out patients who had any um, GI symptoms. So, okay. IBS or, you know, all the other symptoms they ruled out because they didn't want that cross. So the control subjects were completely symptom-free. And they saw that um, the gut bacteria was much less varied in the patients who had chronic pelvic pain. Um, Not only did they see that, you know, they had less variety, but they also saw that they had a lot of one variety and very little of the other. Of the same Um, variety too? Or just in general? Oh, interesting. Okay. And I don't, know the, I don't know the names because I was looking at the names and I was like, I don't know exactly what that means. But researchers basically said, and this happens to UTI patients a lot, interstitial right. cystitis and UTI patients. Is yes. They get prescribed these um, antibiotics over and over again when we're not seeing anything or we're not even checking. Um, and then we're killing this bacteria in the gut that is good bacteria. And, you know, for a long time, we thought that IBS or IC patients, interstitial cystitis, painful Mm -hmm. bladder, or even prostatitis patients have this coexisting anxiety and depression. Uh, We see this a lot, especially in IBS patients have coexisting anxiety and depression. And we thought for a long time, researchers thought that, oh, anxiety and depression is keeping their um, IBS symptoms 
flared up. But we actually think it's the opposite now. We mm. think that the IBS is keeping them anxious and depressed because our gut has so much connections with how we feel. Right. Right. Now, with our emotions. I love this because this is this is actually my area of I know. Of I specialty. want to listen to you. I'm, I'm a huge dork on this, and I, I always love hearing it from someone else. I've never heard of this study. I've actually read studies on how concussions, people with concussions, it'll completely change their microbiome. I've seen that. People who are uh, diagnosed obese, uh, their microbiome is totally different. Uh, Asperger's um, and people on the autism spectrum, totally different microbiome. But I've never heard of the prostatitis being yeah. this way. So did they have any theories on why these men had they was the theory that all these men had been given antibiotics so many times or did they have any that theory? Was the theory? That was the theory. That was the theory. Although um, they didn't have, I don't think this study had a clear outline of, they didn't have the history of how many courses of antibiotics are given, but sure. usually, um, usually three to four courses of antibiotics are given. For um, prostatitis. Yeah, chronic Pros- prostatitis. And I see this a lot in painful bladder or UTI symptoms. We see this all the time. Women given, you know, four or five courses of antibiotics within just a year. And now we don't even know if they had an infection, but we have created a new problem of indigestion, of constipation, of diarrhea. Like they are starting to build the uh, get the symptoms of IBS that they did not have. Yes. They had just UTI and now they have UTI plus IBS. Right. Um, it's a very common presentation in the clinic. Okay. Um, very interesting. Yeah. So I, I mean, I see this all the time, uh, bacterial dysbiosis caused by a whole slew of things. It can be everything from stress. Because uh, actually, one thing that I thought of when I heard you t- talk about that um, study done was that stress and chronic pain, uh, which, I mean, these guys were in chronic pain, can change the microbiome in our gut because all of our bacteria in our gut have cortisol receptors on them because in in our bacteria need to know, they don't have eyes. They're not like, how are we doing today? They're kind of taking chemical samples of our body to say, what's going on? And is today a good grow day or is it not? (laughs) And are are we happy or how much should we be producing? How much food should we be eating? Or do we need to like pull back? And is this a bad season to be growing and our bacteria are very sensitive to us as human beings and we're sensitive to them and so they found that people with chronic stress just that on its own will all the bacteria change and there's opportunistic bacteria in our gut that normally we um, and opportunistic they're considered less good they're not like the ones we want growing a ton they're always there but usually our body suppresses them and they're not a big deal but when we're stressed they're like Oh, hey, it's party time. Um, and they, so they feed more on cortisol. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they turn on. They, they basically say, like, imagine like a garden is a really good way to imagine the microbiome in our gut. And um, certain circumstances will, will cause all our happy, you know, good plants to grow. And certain circumstances will kill the good plants and then grow the weeds. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Sense. Um, but then when you do the antibiotics, you're basically killing everybody and stressing the body a ton. And then now anybody can, whoever grows the fastest, it's like free, free real estate, you know? Exactly. And, so they and then can, oftentimes they grow in the wrong places. Like yeah. they'll grow in the vaginal discharge instead of in the gut. We've seen that a lot. Like, you know, just misplaced and the body is just not able to find a balance and what belongs where. But yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point. You know, my, my work focuses a lot on the pelvic pain and we see that GI symptoms, like almost hundred percent of patients um, who have some sort of pain in the pelvic region have GI symptoms. Wow. And I think most of the time we hear that GI symptoms, you know, started first. The, even though they are less bothersome, it's very it's very sneaky in the way God yes, it's the body. Right, it's it it's just not bad enough that you would seek help, but it creates pain or it at least feeds into pain elsewhere, which will debilitate you. Yes, so you I can't commonly always find that connection between the gut and the pelvis. 
yeah, it's not an immediate connection yes. mentally, but you know, it's like, well, I've had bloating for years and lots of gassiness and I'm sensitive to all these foods and I get acid reflux and, uh, and then that's even upper GI, but that's usually a peristalsis problem that I, you know, see commonly with the GI stuff. And then, and, and that's because there's bacterial dysbiosis going on and then, you know, constipation can happen or diarrhea. That's not making all the, the pelvic floor can not respond well to it. And then yeah. low back pain actually small thing here and I don't know if you are familiar with this you might be that the small intestines via the mesenteric root attached to the posterior um, abdominal wall and if there's tension on that because the small intestines get inflamed there's a lot of pressure internally from bloating um, or just uh, s- systemic inflammation from a leaky gut problem like intestinal permeability whatever that is if it's irritating it you will get low back pain have you seen that low back pain that's you know yeah and the, from you the know sometimes GI we system. see this like chronic lower back or even chronic neck pain. Okay. And we'll treat their abdomen. I'll treat their abdomen. Um, it almost looks like uh, their abdomen is rigid or bloated, but not like not in a bloated sense that they feel it, but in a way that it doesn't have the softness that it should have. And right. Then, and once we work on, and obviously the lower back muscles are tight because they're in pain. Um, and we treat their visceral system, the lower back feels better. But before that, you know, they'll ask me, why are you doing this? And I sometimes say that, you know, a body cares about organs a lot more. Not that the muscles and the tissues and the ligaments are not important, but a deep inherently, I think body cares about the organs a lot. So um, it's not that you don't need to treat your lower back. Sometimes you treat the lower back and that's enough. But longer the pain has been going on, more chances that your gut has been affected. Yes. Yes. Um, I think everyone should work with a nutritionist or a functional nutritionist practitioner because it's so important for everything. I, I mean, I'll tell you one thing that happened to me in this pregnancy. Okay. Because um, you're pregnant right now, right? Yes. I'm you have all these wonderful months. videos of like how to help yourself <laughs> during pregnancy and you're like doing your own self-care and just sharing it with everyone. So I yes, love I'm that. <laughs> so what happened was I, you know, in the first trimester, I was like, uh, I had a quite a bad morning sickness in the first trimester. And the second I started feeling better and was bloated and just not feeling great with eating, even though I wasn't sick anymore. And, and this is a common thing in pregnancy. They said, your hormones are all over the place. You will get reflux. You will get bloating. Um, you know, all the things that happen in pregnancy are happening to you. So we can't do anything. That's the usual answer in pregnancy uh, to everything you have. Okay. Uh, we, so you tried. can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you tried. So what'd you do next? So, so um, I just kind of, you know, suffered with it for a little while. I was constipated. They're they're putting Mm -hmm. you on iron supplements uh, pretty aggressively. Anyways, around 26 weeks or 28 weeks, I got diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which is a, you know, a hereditary thing more than anything. My family has very strong history of diabetes. But what that did was I was forced to really radically change my diet. Um, I had to stop eating anything sweet, like Mm -hmm. any additional sugar was completely out. And then I uh, basically didn't eat simple uh, sugars, even in form of carbs. I only eat low glycemic index foods. Yeah. So you're, you're no bread, no rice, you know, those aren't even, it's not processed sugar, but yeah, not the carbs. So fat, not the simple carbs either. Yeah. And carbs, but complex carbs. Okay. Complex carbs. (laughs) So, um, two weeks and my GI symptoms were gone. Mm. And up until this point, nine months, um, I don't have any constipations. I don't have any hemorrhoids. I don't have any gas situation, which are all the things we say will happen in pregnancy. And I'm not saying it won't if you do this, but it's a testimony. (laughs) Yeah. There there was a huge connection there that uh, I would not have put together. And I, I, you know, for most part in my pregnancy, I felt pretty good. And I think that's because of the diet, because yeah. my system has worked so well. I w- I've been surprised how quickly every morning I feel good. I go, I'm not bloated. I can eat whatever I want. Well, not whatever I want, but you 
<laughs> you can eat, you but, can eat whatever you have chosen to eat that's within your bubble of I'm allowed to eat it. You don't have symptoms with it. Yes. Like that's huge. I can eat however much I want, um, right. which you you don't hear from pregnant women. I can eat however, however much of, well, you know, a healthy right. food I want. I will not get uh, reflux or wow. any of those symptoms. Love it. Um, I could, I could be lucky. It could be just me, but yeah, it's worth something. I think. I mean, with the clients that I work with, I always tell them we're looking for vital voids, like these voids that it's not like you're doing everything wrong, which is honestly, most people I work with, like they're already trying something, um, mm-hmm. whether it's diet or exercise or sleep or stress reduction, yoga, like it's very, very common PT. Um, and then they come to me and it's like, well, we're just looking for that one thing you know, that, that hasn't been found yet. And for you, you had this little diet shift, um, was huge for you and really lucky yeah, on your I side. Yeah, I love that word, vital void. Yes. Yeah. That's, so, that's such a cool word. Yeah. Yes. Feel free to use that uh, concept. I, I really love some of the concepts you shared. So Nitty, thank you. I am so enjoyed having you on the podcast. I knew I was going to love chatting with you. Your stories are amazing. I hope that people who've listened to this have a little bit of hope for what they can look for and that their body is not stuck where it's at. I know that some people are going to want to connect with you after listening to this. So where can we find you online? Yeah, so uh, my Instagram handle is Think beyond pain. Okay. Uh, which basically is, you know, I treat pain, but I really want you to think beyond pain. I want oh, you to I love think it. about health and fitness and wellness. The same handle on Facebook and uh, connect with me there. If you're looking to work with me, uh, my again, my Instagram will have the handle to reach out to my website. But if you're looking for my actual clinic, Funk Physio, F-U-N-C, Physio, Dot com. Uh, we have two locations, one in New York uh, City and one in Westchester County, just north of New York. Okay. Um, and I can work with somebody remotely if that's what's yeah. needed. Yeah. So you work with people in your clinic, but then you also do some virtual work as well. I do some do some awesome. If someone's interested in working with you virtually, but isn't sure if virtual work will help them fully, can they just DM you or is there a way that you can decide if that's going to work for them? Yeah, so you can always uh, DM me. You can also email me. My email is on the website. Okay. We will always offer a 15-minute consultation, which is free. Okay, awesome. So we can talk. Obviously, we can always talk uh, and see if that's something that will fit your needs. You can also call the office and they will schedule a free consultation. We call it a discovery visit. um, Awesome. Yeah. Well, I love it. I hope that if you've listened to this, that you feel that you can reach out to Nitty. She is, she's a very quick responder. She's been communicating with me, super friendly. Um, and Nitty, one other thing, do you have any resources available that you can share with our listeners? Anything to provide? So um, because I've been pregnant for last eight months, that's what I've been working on. Most of my content has been. Um, I have an ebook for pregnant and postpartum patients that is in my Instagram link. And I can give you the, the link if you want. Awesome. Yeah, it's we'll stick it in the notes. We'll yeah. stick it in our show notes. It's also awesome. on the website. And then the whole last 10 weeks or so, I have recorded one live webinar every week. You have been and, awesome at that too. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been very good with this. So I've talked pretty much about everything pregnancy related. What changes to expect, how to work out, back pain, leg pain, diastasis. Talked about prolapse, talked about leaking. Um, all of those things. Each one has a webinar um, on YouTube. So if you follow mm. my channel, it's Funk Physio Mommy Room. Again, the link is in my bio on Instagram, but I'll give you the link too to follow. And then, um, yeah, you can get all those videos. I try to record one video at least every two weeks, you know, not maybe not after I give birth, but <laughs> until then. That's I'll okay. Well, well, you know, you can just focus on cuddling with your baby. Awesome. Well, Nitty, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to put all that information for people to connect with you in our show notes. I'm going to even get the, see if we can get a show note link for the research um, that you provided today or the study you talked about, Nitty, and we'll see if we can find that. And thank you so much for your time. We have so thank enjoyed you, having Allison. you on here. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Wow, was that interview amazing or what? 
I cannot believe how many topics we covered in one hour and how they all connect to the pelvic floor and how the pelvic floor connects to all these other aspects of our entire body health. If you love this episode, we have so much more coming down the line. Subscribe so you can catch all of our episodes and continue to learn more and more about the gut and how you can get healthier. And if you like this episode, take a screenshot and share it with a friend. I cannot count how many times when I tell someone I'm a gut health therapist that they say, oh, I know someone who needs you. So send that friend a love note to their gut and do us a favor and pass this podcast along to them. Other ways you can stay connected in the conversation is by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Better Belly Therapies. We love connecting with our listeners and it means so much if you drop by and said hi. And remember, as always, my favorite quote, miracles are immediate, but healing takes time.